Hi listeners, we're back. Before we get started, I just wanted to give you all an update. You may have noticed we took a bit of a hiatus. We were debating ending the show. However, the emails and messages of support we received from our listeners has kept us going. So we owe you all a huge thanks. Enigma is evolving into something we love, but each episode is taking more and more time than we anticipated. We have jobs and lives outside the podcast. We want to give every episode the attention to detail it deserves. The more listeners we have, the more episodes we'll produce. If you want to hear more Enigma, you can help us for free. Simply share Enigma on your Facebook or Twitter feeds. You can also take the time to write a review on iTunes and recommend Enigma to a friend you think would enjoy it. Today's episode is darker than many of our previous episodes. It isn't for everyone. It deals with child abuse and neglect. If that's not something you want to hear a story about, please skip this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Being raised by wolves. We've all heard the phrase, but very few times has anyone ever meant it literally. We think of wild children instead of human beings turning into something more animal than man. It is simply unbelievable. But the idea still fascinates us. The big what if. And perhaps there is more to these tales than we think. These feral children have been the topic of many stories, from local legends to books to screens big and small. One of the most popular, and I'm sure you know the one, is the story of Mowgli in the Jungle Book. A boy lost in the wild and literally being raised by a pack of wolves. It's a children's story we all know and love. But these stories are not always popular works of fiction, and they don't always have a happy ending. It is two of these stories that I wish to share with you today. One is a legend of the Old West, but in the end that is all it is, a legend. The other is very real. Both stories can at times be quite graphic, but it is the real story rather than the legend which might be difficult for some listeners to hear. Reality, as it often does, has a way of being much darker and crueler than fiction. And in the end, perhaps humans, in all our sophistication and wisdom, are capable of things far worse than animals. I'm Rebecca Knight, and this is Enigma. The year was 1845. A group of hardened men in the Republic of Texas gathered their provisions, loaded up their supplies, and saddled their horses. They had no idea how long it would take, but they were determined to find her. We don't know exactly how many men went in search of the little girl, or just what their experience was, but it was sure to be a difficult task. This posse of vaqueros, Mexican cowboys, was commissioned for something initially thought to be just a made-up story. A village woman near Devil's River 
an area located just north of the modern-day city of Del Rio on the Texas-Mexico border, came upon a small group of wolves feasting upon their most recent prey, a goat from a nearby farm. One of the wolves was not a wolf at all, but a human, a girl. And she was covered in long, untamed hair, her skin tough and tanned. The woman was shocked as this human girl feasted on the fallen goat. She tore chunks of raw meat from the body with her hands, shoving them hungrily into her mouth. When the woman tried to approach her, the wolves fled and the girl followed. She ran on all fours, and while she was fast, she struggled to keep up with the wolves. No one believed the woman's story when she returned to her village. But that changed as more reports of a girl who ran and hunted with a pack of wolves started to pop up in the area. Ranchers reported seeing a girl among those slaughtering their livestock. Hunters reported seeing distinct human prints right alongside those of local wolves. These wolves, known as Lobos wolves, although an endangered species today, were once a dominant force in the American Southwest. Numerous packs roamed the canyons and rivers of the area around modern-day Texas and northern Mexico. These wolves were clever and feared humans. The vaqueros knew tracking down this specific pack of lobos wolves and removing the girl was going to be difficult and dangerous. The vaqueros set off for Espinosa Lake, located southeast of Devil's River near modern-day Carrizo Springs. The lake is small and would be considered by most to be just a pond. Nevertheless, it was an area long known for dark and mysterious occurrences. A group of early settlers had been slaughtered here. There were reports of alligators dragging people into the murky depths, the hapless victims' souls doomed to haunt the shores for eternity. There was another event, too, that made the vaqueros select this as their first place to search. Ten years earlier, in 1835, two settlers, a married couple, arrived in the area from the east to start a new life. It was widely rumored that these two were on the run from the law after the husband, John, killed his business partner in Georgia. One night, John set out in a violent storm to find help for his pregnant wife, Molly, who was going through a rough labor. He died from exposure that night, but not before reaching a small village and begging for help. The villagers had to wait for the storm to pass, but as soon as they could, they set off for the cabin, hoping to rescue Molly. It wasn't long before they discovered they were too late. Though she most likely died in childbirth, Molly's body looked like it had been scavenged by wolves. Her partially eaten body was beyond recognition. It was impossible to tell if she had given birth or not. Either way, the child was lost. People figured there was no way it could have survived. Now the vaqueros thought, maybe this assumption was wrong. When they arrived at the cabin, they stumbled upon a group of Lobos wolves near Espantosa Lake. In the midst of the pack, they saw another creature. She was just as the stories had described, but still they were in disbelief seeing her with their own eyes. 
She was real. They had found the wolf girl. But their job was far from over. Their only chance of capturing the girl was to isolate her from the rest of the pack. The group of vaqueros herded the wolves and separated the pack one by one until only the girl and a large male wolf remained. He seemed to be the girl's protector, but even he was no match for the experienced wranglers and was eventually driven away as the girl was chased into a canyon where she had no way out. She was trapped, yet still she resisted, growling and roaring at the men. She lashed out with her long-nailed hands and even tried to bite the men when they came close. In the eyes of the vaqueros, she was more beast than girl, but they still had hope for saving her. One of the vaqueros was finally able to successfully lasso her, but as soon as he did, the male wolf who had been protecting the girl re-emerged and attacked them. Another man was able to grab his gun just in time and fire off a shot. The wolf fell. Witnessing this, the girl let out a cry and gave up her fight. In Los Angeles, in 1957, we find another girl being reintroduced after having been rescued. She couldn't speak, couldn't walk properly, and had no sense of proper social conduct. She wasn't raised by wolves, but by the people who were supposed to care for her and nurture her, her parents. When she finally made it somewhere safe, somewhere people could care for her and get the treatment she needed, most feared it was already too late. Her name is Jeannie, and the details of her story are all too real. Details of abuse and neglect of a child. If you are uncomfortable with these topics, or maybe around others who are, we recommend you stop listening here. From birth, Jeannie had been treated inhumanely. No child should ever have to experience what she went through. While her mother eventually came to her rescue and took her away from the home that so harmed her, it took nearly 13 years for her to build up that courage. In those 13 years, the damage done to Jeannie was believed to be irreversible, yet some held out hope that she could be fully rehabilitated. It was an area of developmental psychology that hadn't ever been put to the test. And the reality is that no one knew how lasting this type of damage would be. When doctors first began to study her, they tested her cognitive abilities, and her results were comparable to that of a 13-month-old child. Jeannie was not able to talk or effectively communicate. She could only grunt, moan, or make other vocalizations. She was also malnourished, skinny, and could barely walk on two legs, having an odd gait when she did. Her eyesight also suffered due to her confinement. She could only see well within about 10 feet. For nearly her whole life, Jeannie had been kept in a back room and chained to a child's toilet during the day. The width of that room 
was about 10 feet. At night, Jeannie was put in a crib with a metal wire over it to keep her restrained. And if she ever made too much noise, her father would either bark at her from the hallway or further abuse her. The extent of the abuse Jeannie suffered is heartbreaking, and there is still no clear reason why she was treated this way by her father. Though he never wanted kids, he was father to three, only two of which survived. Now defeated, it was then that the men could finally take their first good look at the wolf girl. She was in an unthinkable state. Long, knotted hair, dark, leathered skin, and teeth and nails chipped from the unforgiving landscape. Her body skinny and lean from having to hunt down her own food. The vaqueros tried to communicate with her, but she could not speak or understand them. She struggled to walk on two legs, moving with an odd and unnatural gait as she did. With the day growing late, the men did what they could to secure her to one of the horses and rode to seek shelter for the night. They came upon a ranch and were fortunate enough to find the farmer there was willing to put them up for the night. The men explained the situation and not wanting to keep a little girl tied up, the farmer gave them the use of a shed he had. They put the girl in there with some food and water. They also boarded up the windows and doors to prevent her escape. For hours, the men tried to sleep, only to be kept awake by bestial grunts, moans, and strange vocalizations coming from the shack. At times, it resembled howling. Exhausted from their long hunt to find the girl, the men were beginning to come unnerved. Then, out of the darkness, howls from the distance began to answer the girl's scream. The girl hadn't been crying out in anguish. She had been crying out for help. And that call had been answered. Quickly, the men got to their feet and armed themselves. All the while, the howling from the darkness grew closer and closer. The men's eyes searched and failed to see the predators lurking in the blackness. Then they heard the farmer yelling and firing his weapon from the far side of the farm. The wolves were attacking the farmer's livestock. The vaqueros rushed to help their host repel the attack. In the dark of night, the scene was chaotic. But in the end, the men were able to chase off the wolves without any serious harm to themselves or their animals. Finally, they were able to take a breath in what was the first quiet moment of the evening. Only then realizing that the silence meant something was seriously wrong. The Vicuros ran back to the other side of the ranch and the shed housing the girl. As quickly as they could, they pried open the door and searched the small building. Inside, the food and water were untouched, and they noticed a hole in the floorboards with claw marks and teeth all around it. The girl 
was gone. The next morning, they searched the grounds and found human prints in the dirt and sand along the wolf tracks. They followed every trail they could, but were unable to find the pack of wolves. The child had once again disappeared into the night with the Lobos wolves. It was discovered that Jeannie, besides not being taught how to speak, was not even allowed to make noise at all. Even more detrimental to her development was the fact that no one was allowed to speak or communicate with her. Because of this, she had no understanding of language throughout her whole childhood. It was this part of her recovery that would be most challenging, and was also what made Jeannie's case so fascinating to scientists and to the public alike. It's called the critical period hypothesis, and the idea is this. There is a critical period for children where the acquisition of language must occur. The concept has been debated among scientists for many years, but the ideas were mostly just theoretical. Some believe that this period was strict, and after a certain age, the acquisition of language was hopeless. Others thought it was just a general rule, to which there were always exceptions. Enter Jeannie, a girl well past the age many believed to be the cutoff point in this theory, and she had never learned any form of language. Could she now learn and disprove the theory? Or were all efforts to teach her doomed to fail? That was what drew so many to her hospital room looking to see her, speak with her, and study her. For the next four years, that is what they did. Doctors, linguists, psychologists, they all wanted to study Jeannie in hopes that she could provide the long-sought answers to these questions. And to much celebration, Jeannie did learn. Her spatial awareness and facial recognition improved, as well as her ability to communicate non-verbally. Though she did develop the ability to speak, she never acquired the full comprehension of language. Also, Despite her obvious improvement in care, Jeannie's troubles were far from over. When she was released into the foster care system, she found many bumps along the way. Many homes were not equipped or ready to handle a child such as Jeannie. As a result, the abuses inflicted on her continued. Not every home she was in treated her poorly but it was often enough to restrict her already limited development. In many ways, she regressed during this period, and it was in this time that hope for Jeannie diminished. The Vaqueros gave up their search and all hopes for returning the girl to society. It seemed she was too far gone, lost to the wild forever. 
In the years that followed, periodic reports surfaced of a wild girl who ran with a pack of wolves. But as time went on, the reports grew less and less, until eventually fading away almost altogether, but not quite. In 1852, the gold rush was kicking off, and many folks packed up their lives and headed west in hopes of riches and a better life. It was an exciting time for the country, and for a group of surveyors, they found excitement in an unexpected way. They had been following the Rio Grande in search of a new route to El Paso. On their journey, they came to a bend in Devil's River, and that is where they saw something strange off in the reeds. It was a young woman, but she was covered in long, dark hair. Also, along with her, she had a group of wolf pups. The men stared at her in shock. Then, when they went to approach her, she saw them. She quickly gathered the pups and ran off on all fours. The legend, once again, vanishing. In 1978, Jeannie returned to the care of her mother, and as a result, she was once again hidden away from the world. No more tests or studies were allowed during this time, and once again her social growth was stunted. Then, when her mother could no longer care for her, Jeannie moved on to more foster homes and adult care facilities. But in the early 2000s, she seemed to disappear off the map completely. Interest in her case had drifted far from the mind of the public, and Jeannie quietly slipped into obscurity. Her mother passed away in 2003 due to natural causes. Her father, the one responsible for over a decade of abuse that forever prevented Jeannie from developing language and living a normal life, met a more tragic end. In 1957, he was brought up on counts of child abuse and was swarmed by all the media attention brought on by Jeannie's case. On November 20th of that year, just weeks after the discovery of Jeannie's abuse and hours before he was set to appear in court, Jeannie's father took his own life. Eventually, Jeannie surfaced again in the early 2000s. It was an investigator that tracked her down to a private facility for mentally handicapped adults in California. While not many other details were given, it was said that she was happy there and she still had limited communication through sign language. Her recovery still a work in progress. It's important to note that Jeannie was not the girl's real name. 
but a pseudonym given to her when she was taken into protective care. This is similar to many stories where names or other details are changed for this reason or that. Sometimes it is to protect someone's identity, but other times it could be because we are ashamed of the truth. These stories of feral children, not just the wolf girl of Devil's River, but all the similar tales from around the globe, in some cases, could be an example of just that. Stories of abuse or neglect hidden inside a fanciful legend. But this abuse is very real, as we've seen in the case of Jeannie, and so are the consequences of it. In the story, the wolf girl refuses to rejoin society and stays with the wolves that have cared for her since her birth. Her ties are to the wolves and not society. In reality, these neglected children are not given that choice. For many, they are just so damaged that treatment and care can only heal so much. In Jeannie's case, her abuse was so severe that she completely missed the key window for her language development. The truth can be a little too dark sometimes, and we're tempted to put something over it, to hide it. We see these neglected and abused children, like Jeannie, and cannot believe their parents or another human could have done this to them. So perhaps it wasn't her parents that did it. Perhaps she was taken away or lost in the wild where only animals were around to raise her, where humans are not the villains, only the victims. What if sometimes we create these stories, these legends, to explain away these things we are unable to accept or admit? Then, in time, like all good stories, they take on a life of their own. They grow and evolve. The edges dulling, the peaks and valleys smoothing until we have something people want to believe. And in the end, the truth is all but forgotten lost again to the wild. Thank you for listening to this episode of Enigma. If you'd like more information on this story, you can check out our website, this is Enigma.com. We've got photos of Espendoza Lake, links to videos of Jeannie's work with psychologists, and drawings of the infamous Wolf Girl. You can also find links to our sources there. If you'd like to hear more Enigma, then we need your help. Enigma is on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe. If you have ideas for a story we should cover next, please let us know. We'd also love it if you'd recommend Enigma to a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. Another way to help is to rate us and write us a review on iTunes. If you do, we'll give you a call out in future episodes thanking you for your support. Thanks so much to everyone who has taken the time to rate and review us on iTunes. It means a lot. 
iTunes reviews help us attract additional listeners. The more listeners we have, the more episodes we'll produce. This episode of Enigma was written by Corey Greiner and produced by Alex Holscher. Original artwork by Chris Vickery. Enigma is produced in Cape Fear, North Carolina. I'm Rebecca Knight, and this is Enigma. Enigma.